Pete Yost here for the Unbuild It podcast with a word about our sponsor, Huber Engineered Woods. There are really three reasons why I think Huber Engineered Woods stands out, and it's a big part of why they're a sponsor of our Unbuild It podcast. First, they develop systems of products. The products are compatible and integrated. Makes our jobs a lot more easy in the field and when specifying. Second is superior tech support. There are really good website resources that they have developed for the application of their products, but they also have an outstanding uh, 800 number tech team that really knows their stuff. And the last is a really active technical research and development team with whom I've done a lot of work over the years and I have a lot of faith in the information I get from them when I have questions about product performance. So that's it. That's our high performance sponsor. Now onto the podcast. Good morning, Unbuilded Podcast. The We're editor loves it live when you from yell. Who does? The editor loves it when you yell. I don't really care about the editor. Do you, do you see any tears in my eyes for the He editor? likes to smash things and yell right. things. So speaking of smash things, before we even get started... Smash that subscribe button on YouTube, and let's get started here. So, today, you're going to love it, because I'm opening up this podcast, but what I'm really doing is opening up a little mini-series here in our podcast. So, the next four podcasts are going to be what I call Love It or Hate It, and uh, we're basically going to take the four control layers, and we're going to talk about our love-hate relationship with the four control layers. And today we're going to start with water management. My good friend, Peter Yost, Jake Bruin are joining me here. So I'm not the only one going to be talking and we're going to jump right over to Jake and Jake is going to enlighten us. He gets to choose whether he loves or hates first and uh, tell us a little bit about water management. So we always talk about the idea that mother nature always wins. Mm. Like we're not going to defeat Mother Nature, we have to live by her terms and we have to do the best we can with that situation. So when we talk about love it or hate it, I came up with a a hate and a love, but then I realized that my love goes both ways. He's practicing for Switzerland. So (laughs) (laughs) but that's okay. The idea I'm intrigued, by the way. You've got me I'm you've not. got me going. You know, a, a pet peeve of mine in life, seriously. I'm sorry. I gotta rant <laughs> on this. But when I ask somebody a question, <laughs> they don't answer the question. They don't answer the goddamn question. They gotta answer it with a, well, I kind of like it and don't like it. No, no. Do you like this? You either like it or you don't like it. There is no kind of like it, don't like so it. I think if but you let me ahead. explain that. Go ahead, but I'm already pissed off. That's not so. the realm that I was living in. Okay. From an aesthetic standpoint, which is not water management, I love buildings that don't have overhangs. Residential buildings that don't have overhangs. Oh, interesting. As a builder... They scare the living daylights out of me, and I would do everything in my power to push to put overhangs on a building and find a design that does what you want it to do with overhangs. So my love it is overhangs from a water management standpoint, is what I'm saying. Put a put an umbrella over the building. I have this, uh, and you and I have talked about this, Steve. I have this dream of buying a little piece of property in the middle of nowhere, you know, a couple hundred acres or something where nobody can really see me. And then putting up a pole barn style roof assembly 
and then plugging and playing a couple little like cube buildings underneath building it. like a little village of cubes underneath underneath it. one big roof and then having just this outdoor space and having buildings that are 10 feet from any access to water so that there's there's no risk in what I have going on. Think of the money you could save if you did a building like that, right? You wouldn't have to flash any windows. So it's sort of like a dome approach to, to yeah, yeah, an umbrella. But you wouldn't have to flash. Like you could just get some Sega tape and uh, tape the windows up for yeah. air tightness. But you all, wouldn't have to worry about water management at all. Yeah, you could just barrier it up with some uh, airtight tape. And call it a day. This is not where I thought you were going. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. And it's like, aesthetically, it works in my head. Because then I get to build all these little buildings that don't have overhangs. Right. Because they're underneath but I've also, something I, else. I actually pitched that to a client in Texas. We went a different route, but they were intrigued by it. Because the other thing is, you think about it in Texas, which I, I love Texas, but I hate being in Texas, if that makes sense. Because I've been there twice in the last month, and it hit triple digits both times. It's and high yeah. humidity along. Yeah, the way. it just sucks. Yeah, um, I don't you know. I don't nice know how Texans do it. Shaded spot it to put was your it house. for barbecue. I don't think I'd ever go back. <laughs> but anyways, um, think about like all of that. That if you now you you have like thirty percent under that roof is just a shading device for places to go and sit in a patio and this and that. It could be a really cool house. That concept. Anyways. So since you created this topic of loving and hating for control layers, where are you going to go with love and hate? So love, I love an open joint rain screen. Hmm. I can't get enough air to um, battle the water. And I can't, I just can't open the the valves enough to get rid of water. And it's really interesting because people, the minute you show that, slowly people are coming around. But remember the first times when we did presentations together and you show that people are like, oh my God, you're going to let all this water in and all of this. But they don't understand that water management management is a rate question. It's how can I drain it and dry it as fast or even faster than I can wet it? And an open joint rain screen does that. And it does it very, very effectively. Can I jump in on this loving open? Go ahead. You're part screen. of the podcast, Peter. I would love to hear what you have to say today. So the thing I love about Wait, open, I didn't I'm, know we were going to vote each time somebody decided to talk. <laughs> well, I still Are wish I had a... caramels, but for this moment, but that's it's a so, caramel moment. So far, the two consecutive you talk about caramels and barbecue related to the topic. <laughs> I can tell you about the barbecue place I just went to. It was good. So the thing good I like story. about. Sorry, can't say like, I have to say love. The thing I love about open joint rain screens is there's no ambiguity about where the water is being managed. Because yeah. there are a lot of cladding systems where you can kind of get away with thinking that it's the cladding that's stopping the water. With open joint, it's like, oh, that Our water is not be being managed at the cladding. Well, so. it's a giant multiple two-stage joint, right? It yeah. sheds water, and then water that gets in is under... No pressure drive, so it's forced to fall. All you got to do is provide that inner space. That that idea of pressure drive is actually very important, too. It doesn't matter if a little bit of water gets behind the, the cladding in most instances. It's when it can't get out or it has a spot that it can build up, which if you remodel houses in my market that had, you know, uh, 
Oh, what's the company that went out of business? They had those little H clips at the end of their uh, color lock. Hmm. Color lock. They were a Masonite type product. Uh, a, a lot of that went on in my market before uh, anybody was using house wrap of any sort. And you start pulling it off and there's damage in seven inch increments going up the wall or eight inch increments horizontally in lines where the water got to the leading edge of that the top edge of that piece that was nailed snug to the wall. And there was able to be a buildup of water that was enough to cause damage. But if you think about it logically between that horizontal line that was damaged and the next one up, there's water migrating through there that didn't cause any damage because it was unimpeded. Yeah. So Steve, it, have you ever seen or done an open joint rain screen? Uh, sorry, an open joint cladding system that didn't also have a space between the cladding and the rest of the wall, meaning that it's a rain screen system. No, I so, haven't seen one. So th that's kind of interesting, right? Because you get you get the it's appearance. It's a totally different effect. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you could call it a water shedding um, cladding, right? Because that's what it is also. Well, I was thinking that open joint is sort of like your cladding is a fence. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not a continuous surface. It's just keeps out robbers and baseballs and <laughs> it's like the ultimate sacrificial layer okay that so you can replace also real quick we have to have the baseball conversation you and i i think it was the first or second project that we were working on it may have been for karen uh the conversation came up about well if that siding isn't nailed directly to the house uh, what's going to happen like to the siding if uh, it gets hit with a baseball. And I remember Steve going, how about we don't hit baseballs at the house? <laughs> yeah. We have windows too. Well, you, those are not protected either. Let's, you, how about we just yeah. make sure that the kids aren't hitting like baseballs. 20% at the of the wall is glass and she's worried about the baseball hitting the wall. I it's thought you were going to say they were worried about if you have a space, is the cladding really attached to the structure? No. Is that that wasn't part of it? No, because I but, find that really interesting that if the furring strips are structurally attached to the structure, then you can get away with only attaching the cladding to the furring strip because the furring strip is now structural. All right. I'm hosting this. We got to move on. That, that was a good love. Hate. Wait. A lo no, your love for open joint rain screens was good. So my love for water management <laughs> is going to keep um, <laughs> water testing. Mm. Yeah, I really like this. So I'm going to use Jake's trust but verify comment. In case you couldn't hear that, he said trust but verify. But but I think you know because one one of the one of the and this could potentially like slide into a pet peeve and um, con of uh, water management. But couldn't everything? Everybody has seems to have opinions about water, but they've never seen it. Right, meaning. I like you post something and people like I, I just posted something that talked about six inches of Rockwell insulation. Half the comments are, well, what happens if the insulation gets soaked? How much water do you think is, is getting behind that cladding? Like if that if, if 100 gallons hit that cladding, you'd be lucky to get like a pint of water behind it if it's effectively installed properly, et cetera. Right. So the 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 idea of water testing is. 
before you put up your cladding system, like go hose down the house and watch where the water goes. Mm -hmm. Do it on a windy day is really cool because then you can see how the wind drives the water and the water finds an edge. Like one of the most interesting um, experiences from a building science perspective was Joe and I went to... um, it was Lincoln Homes out in Chicago. We did a whole house. It was in XPS. Don't crucify us in the day. XPS was the thing to wrap a house with. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did it with untaped joints, and we water tested the whole house. And what was absolutely intriguing was because there was no pressure drive, the water really wouldn't go in the joints. It would go, it would find the edge, and it would just ride the edge to the bottom. Now, when you say the joints, were these the... The joints of the XPS. Horizontal but, and vertical? Horizontal but and they vertical. Were but they were staggered, they were... so it would go down, and then it would roll over and go down the sheet, and then it would get find another joint. But it was tongue and groove. It was tongue and yeah. groove on yeah. the... On the um, long side and they railroaded it in so the tongue and groove was always up yep um but but yeah water testing like if you want to learn about a building go just spray water on it spray water on your windows and look at how they look you know what do it before you tape them and spray them so you can understand and start at the sill climb up but it'll give you a really good understanding of how does water get in there and when it does get in there where does it go how does it get back and how does it get back out where does it travel all of these things are are very intriguing concepts to help you uh, understand. We found and, a window leaking at my house that way. You and I did. Mm-hmm. Well, one of my favorite building investigations was a project where they had water leaking in at the first floor ceiling level on a house built right on the Atlantic Ocean. And it only it only leaked when it blew 40 miles per hour or more. And we water tested it with a blower door sucking, you know, depressurizing. And we very slowly worked our way up that window. And about three quarters of the way up the window, we hit the leak. It wasn't the window. It was the sconce light right next to the window. And it only, and it was underneath an overhang. It was only leaking when it blew 40. But it was a ton of fun. It took a long time. But the homeowner was like, how the hell did you think up this way of testing the whole system? So it was, it was, it was not only gratifying; it was uh, financially productive as well. <laughs> Very few things are both. Yeah. All right. Oh, it wasn't for him, but it was for me. But all right. So I'll give this one to you, Pete. So tell us your love hate. Go ahead. You okay. Get both of them. All right. So the thing I love about um, water management management the most is um the flush box thing where or the as matt rising are you using a weird term for a toilet the flush box (laughs) no it's funny but a slight diversion we're going to do something on water efficiency we're going to talk about bidets and bidet seats okay talk about toilets and water management you didn't see that one coming did you buddy (laughs) anyway they're not a drinking phone (laughs) i wash my hands on whoa I'd like, to, I'd like to pre-apologize for where this conversation oh, you, is going. You've never used the bidet as a drinking fountain after you throw up in the toilet? Wash your mouth out? <laughs> Somebody spent oh. too long in the Marine Corps. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there he goes with the military again. That's in the military. Oh, so military guys are just drunk and alcoholics that drink from toilets <laughs> now, right? That's where we were headed with that. <laughs> yes. I, I've completely lost the train of thought, except to say, I like flush boxes. I, I, 
I'm working on a project right now, a building that won an architectural award, and it's as if a drunken sailor designed this thing. There's butterfly, top of a mountain, ski, tons of snow. And uh, so what I hate about water management is that if you do simple geometries, then life is easy to manage water. But if you make it, you know, if you make it geometrically complex, you're making it really hard to water manage. But this is something I've always credited you for, Steve. Your buildings, how, how do you do, how do you get people to be attracted to your designs and keep the geometry simple? I bully them. Yes. He also never goes to a point where it's overly complicated. So we don't have to try to so rein it in yeah. from there. They try and push it. And then you can say, well, we can put those five dormers on the roof if you want. But each one's probably about $8,000. So you're so adding good. about forty grand. And the thing you have to remember, and I just had this conversation with a client. I said, we put that dormer up there. It's going to look nice. But understand, it is a maintenance liability from day one. That's all it is. Yeah, it offers some aesthetics. But it is nothing but a maintenance liability that it is always just going to ask you to, you got to take care of me because I'm up here and I'm getting rained on and frozen and baked and I'm a challenge. Speaking of uh, the idea of like not overly complicating that in the, to start out with, Steve and I drove past this morning. It was a valley over the middle of the house. It was like a fed, twin twin gable that fed to a V right over the front door. And then that fed to a hip that was right underneath of that it. That spread it. So, so it was, it like, was like an hourglass. hourglass. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a two duplexes. So there were two of them. So they figured they must have done something right because they did it again. Yeah. Or they did it quickly enough that they didn't. And uh, there was a guy up there trying Standing to fix in the something. V doing something. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because... To the to a non-building person, that may look geometrically intriguing. Mm -hmm. But when we look at it, it's like, oh, this is just a nightmare. It's ugly because of the trouble it represents. But I have that one picture that I always present, and that's from an eight-figure house. Yes, I said that right. Eight figures. And there's these dormers that are literally like the, the roof eaves are about three inches apart from each other. And there's like six of them in a row. Yep. I remember this picture. So, so that bank of dormers, somebody thought that was attractive, but you it's, look at it and you say, say that's, that's not a, pretty I at call all. It Glacier Alley because I've yeah. been there in the yeah. winter. So they just they start sometime in early December and just kind of back up the valley all winter long. So one of the things that I hate about water management is that manufacturers that make products for part of the exterior assembly make individual products, but no one is making systems of stuff that fits together. So it's crazy to be putting all these individual products together. And then we end up with all kinds of material compatibility issues. So that drives me nuts that, you know, in when we make an automobile, all the systems fit together because it's all done under one system but mm -hmm. with homes it's just do you think we ever get there like i've often said that i think the future of if you're going to do manufactured housing it's not it's not by a company that has ever done housing or is in housing it's somebody like a car manufacturer or somebody that has this systems thinking but you brought up a really good point is that 
I think one of the failures, and and you know, there's that 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 Einstein quote that you can't solve a problem by the means that created it. Mm-hmm. And so, could it be? And we'll, maybe we talk about this in the future. That the problem with manufacturing housing is that we're still taking all this series of components from multi manufacturers, putting them together and calling it a house, rather than having somebody like a Toyota or a Mitsubishi make everything. So they make the fiberglass sill components. They make the windows that lock into those sill components that then fit into a wall that they've designed just like a car. And that you have these, this kind of modular system that things just click, snap, and get flashed or whatever. And then you get a house. Well, we've been waiting for this approach to building for yeah, pretty much my whole career the conversation hasn't changed one iota so yeah, we we yeah. might think we're ahead of the game because there's some people out there doing it but there was somebody out there doing it 30 years ago and there'll be yeah. somebody doing it 30 years from now yeah we haven't cracked that nut yet so anyways so that was yours did you get a con you didn't i did you, not did oh you, you did the whole switzerland thing well so. i have i actually have a separate uh okay, thing that ahead. angers we'll me the, the hate Ooh, it angers, it uh, angers it, him. It falls into the rain screen conversation that we've been having. The the outright ability of our industry to go, well, yeah, but that that didn't fit the budget when it comes to rain screen, specifically rain screen, because it's super cheap. Like a four thousand square foot house, we add twenty five hundred dollars. You can swap to a different countertop and have no budget effect at that point. You can swap to a different tile. You could, you know, there's a million things that you could do there to save $2,500 to justify higher durability. And there's probably, I can't think, I I was just, when you were talking, I was thinking, is there anything on a house that has more of an impact than a rain screen system? Certainly not per dollar spent. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think so either. I'm trying to imagine. Because when you think of all the building failures... They're all, most of them, uh, the high cost ones are related to water and they're related to water not being able to drain. Yeah. So having a rain screen is probably, yeah, I would say it's probably one of the most important things you can do to a building. There are climates where arguably you could say that water management is not number one, but we have trouble with buildings that are leaking in because of irrigation systems. So I don't know. I, I I think even in hot, dry climates, you still have to have an awful lot of respect for water management. I agree. And can I, I I'm going to chime in here. One of the things that I hate about water management is that we have to be careful about bulk water coming down. And then we've got to worry about water moving up against the force of gravity because of wicking. I think that makes our lives a lot more complicated that we can't just worry about it coming down we got to worry about it coming up that's that's just sad (laughs) it's coming at you it's coming down it's coming up water is all around us wow silence three of us are speechless. speechless but that's all right speechless is good it gives our audience a time to think to reflect on what we've just been talking about. To adjust the volume to adjust knob the to volume. see if something happened to the audio. <laughs> so when I go, ah, you, you know that. Gosh. 
All right. Well, let's have some fun. All right. Are you done with your pro and cons? I'm, I'm are you done, done over there, Switzerland? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I'm I'm done. Um, I don't think we need to talk any more about it. I think that's good. And we'll move on to air tightness. So do you want to close it out, Jake? Sure. So this was, as Steve uh, started to say in the beginning, this is one of four. We're going to talk about the control layers. We're going to do this love and hate topic with all those. So if you want to keep from missing out, uh, you're going to want to subscribe either on iTunes, Spotify, or to the YouTube channel. The benefit of subscribing on YouTube is you also get content that doesn't get published. Hey, you should tell Peter about the guy you talked to, the guy that at the bank with the podcast. No, I, uh, uh, the, the, well, we'll tell that story off the air. <laughs> no, well, I mean, you can tell the good stuff. The fact that he's like, hey, you're the guy that does that podcast thing, right? And Jake's like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I listen to it. He goes, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I listened to like four or five. They yeah. sounded pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so that was an endorsement of yeah, our podcast? Yeah, that was the endorsement. It was, uh, it was over my head, but they, well, were, they were pretty well, good. Well, stay tuned because I'm going to talk about my experience with someone who learned about the podcast when we talk about water efficiency. Got a good story okay. for that one. Wow. But, but I just want to be clear. Get the This is the love-hate. Do not click the like button. Click the love button. The love. Am I I doing it? uh, Being a child of the 60s. Yeah. So is there a love button on social media? (laughs) Peace, bro. I don't think so. Damn. Because he just said, also, none of this middle ground. sounds like a vulgar term. <laughs> as soon as he <laughs> came out of my mouth, my I thought, button. whoa, that's not... That's <laughs> no, not, so you always had to take it there. Yeah, that's where my Peter's brain lives. Peter's a flower lives. child. That's where my brain lives. Peter's a flower child. Thanks Should... for watching the podcast today. Bye-bye. See ya.